This is the Make America Grape Again podcast, produced and recorded by Cody Burkett, the Arizona Wine Monk. In this podcast, we explore wines from all 50 states in the United States of America. Welcome to another episode of the Make America Grape Again podcast. I'm your host, Cody Burkett, CSW. Megan, Betty Vitti Drinky, also CSW. We have a new guest with us tonight. I'm Kim Musket. I'm the assistant winemaker at Arizona Stronghold Vineyards. Kim has also done some done her time in the cellar in Missouri, and so has dealt with a lot of the hybrid grapes that we're going to be uh, drinking tonight. Today, we're focusing on the great state of Pennsylvania. Uh, what I have here is the non-vintage Spyglass Ridge Winery Oak Vidal, 12.5% alcohol. This is uh, a winery that is in Sunbury, Pennsylvania. Uh, which is where my mother's side of the family is from. So she was visiting that area and was kind enough to get a couple of bottles and ended up getting six bottles altogether of Pennsylvania wine. She also told everyone there about the podcast. And apparently I have a lot of listeners uh, on my mom's side of the family uh, in Pennsylvania. So hello, guys. Hello from the other side of the country where it's actually cold and cloudy today. Um, and windy as all get out because welcome to Arizona in springtime. Mm-hmm. Who would like to read the label? Well, I'm reading the book. Oh, that means you. <laughs> I guess that's me. Well, I know that they can't see it, but it is fun to point out all the uh, tartar crystals at the bottom of the bottle so it's not cold stable, but as you said, it was a small production batch, right? Yeah. So, so cold stabilization, for those who don't know, basically. Let's have the seller person talk about it. <laughs> but you haven't covered this already in the podcast? No, we haven't. All Sorry. Right. So, oh God, chemistry. So cold civilization, uh, usually what happens is you take white wines, and in certain parts of the country, if you have a sweet red or different rosés, you cold stabilize your wine by dropping your tanks down to usually between 28 and 30 degrees, depending on volume. And that causes your tartaric crystals to form in the wine. Uh, sometimes you'll add cream of tartar because tartaric crystals is the beginning stages of cream of tartar. Cream of tartar is essentially ground up, powderized, and that's called seeding the tank. And you can throw that in, freeze your tank, and that will start the crystallization happening, and then you filter that off. It's not a bad thing to do. It's You don't have to do it, though. Usually small production wines don't do it because you don't have the capability. And you can tell people in the bottle, these are tartar crystals. Nothing's happening. It doesn't affect the wine. It doesn't affect the flavor. It's just your last mouthful is a little gritty. So to impress your friends, you can tell them about it, or you can pour the wine through like a coffee filter just to catch those so that you can get that last drop. And then a lot of people also call them in the tasting room wine diamonds. Wine diamonds yes. or wine crystals. We call them wine crystals. Yes. Which makes it sound better because people in the tasting room lose their damn minds. They do. I've like, had oh yeah. Oh yeah. I've had people go, "Why is there sugar in the bottom of the bottle?" I'm like, "It's not sugar. It's not a sweet wine." It's, yeah. That's why I live in the cellar. Yeah. <laughs> I wish I could live in the cellar. <laughs> Sometimes. Often. Um. Yeah, sorry. All right. Fine. All right, so back of the... This is high school all over again, reading out loud. I know, right? (laughs) terrible. Hey, y'all are a lot prettier than I am, so we all know that I have a face for radio. There you go. 
Alright, spring of 1955 was the year that changed our family's lives forever. That was the year we decided to plant our vineyard of premium wine grapes. Sorry if I have weird fluctuations. After years of supplying other Pennsylvania wineries with award-winning grapes, we decided to take that next giant leap. So begins the stage of owning a vineyard and a winery. All of us here at Spyglass Ridge Winery and Vineyards would like to thank you for choosing one of our handcrafted wines, which reflects every nuance of our vineyard's unique microclimate. We are confident that you will enjoy the fruits of our labor. Enjoy. So, Pennsylvania has three AVAs. As far as I'm aware, this is not in any of them. Um, I couldn't find boundary maps for any of them. Womp womp. Uh, you've got uh, the main three areas which are planted are the Lake Erie AVA, the Lancaster Valley AVA, and I believe the Lehigh Valley AVA. I think I'm... Yeah, it's Lehigh Valley. Each area, of course, like most areas, has its own kind of focus. Uh, Lehigh Valley is home to the original Gruner Veltliner, which is my favorite grape to say, as well as Chamberson and Cap Franc. Lancaster Valley uh, is the big area for vinifera varietals in Pennsylvania, apparently. Cabernet, Chardonnay, Riesling. Lake Erie is good for ice wine. And native grapes, Concord, uh, Niagara, Catawba, and of course, uh, Noriette and uh, Vidal Blanc, although this is not from Erie. Uh, the Pennsylvania Winery Association also divides the state into, into six major sub-areas. You've got the Northeast, the North Central, the, North and the Northwest, the Southwest, the South Central, and the Southeast. And this is, I'm pretty sure, because it's about an hour from Harrisburg going to fall uh, towards the edge of the South Central uh, Division. Hmm. Apparently, uh, Pennsylvania right now has about 14,000 acres of uh, grapes. Produces more than 1.6 million gallons of wine annually, which actually makes Pennsylvania the eighth largest state in terms of wine production in the U.S., which actually blew my mind because yeah, that was not what I expected. I did not expect Pennsylvania to fall no. that high on the list. I did not either. I was no. kind of surprised. History of Pennsylvania wine. Uh, before Prohibition, there's not much data, but uh, there is a lot of urban legends uh, that state that uh, viticulture actually began with William Penn himself in the, in the 1680s. Apparently, he actually planted the first vineyard in Philadelphia in what is now Fairmont Park. Now there's more than 200 wineries. Wikipedia also lists two additional AVAs. Um, the Central Delaware Valley AVA, which uh, has some vineyards in it uh, on the Pennsylvania side. Hmm. Um, it's also covering Delaware, but as we mentioned in the Delaware episode, there are no vineyards on the Delaware side, at least according to Wikipedia. Yeah. And then there's the uh, Cumberland Valley AVA, which apparently is located in Washington County in West Central Maryland, and Franklin and Cumberland Counties in South Central Pennsylvania. Only 100 acres are actually planted to, to grapevines there, and it's alkaline limestone. This particular AVA basically extends from the Potomac to the Susquehanna River. And that, I think, may be the oldest one in the area in 1985. No idea what vineyards are, are actually there. And it's interesting, there seem to be some AVAs out there that I've noticed that don't have any wineries attached anymore. Um, wow. Which is, that... is weird. Not necessarily here in Pennsylvania, but there's one I, I couldn't find a, an active vineyard for it in Texas. I looked into That's it more right. and more and more, and we couldn't find any wineries yeah. that were in that AVA. What yeah. AVA? Uh, it was the one actually showed with uh, Munson. Really? Um, hold on, I will load. 
We're gonna tangent here for a moment. <laughs> Sorry, I need. I want to know this. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Because that. we can, and also because this part, if it gets too crazy, can be edited out because magic. Uh, if I remember correctly, that was the Texoma AVA. Oh, okay. Yeah, because you know? uh, it's where uh, Thomas Volney Munson discovered that uh, the whole grafting process to take care of phylloxera. Yeah. But we, I looked, we couldn't find anyone we looked briefly when mm. before we were recording and while we were recording that episode. Yeah. And I looked further, and there's a few tasting rooms... But none seem to be growing, and like there's one of them that's importing juice from like Italy. As you Interesting. do. As you do. Um, which is just like you've got this historic, literally one of the most historic areas in the entire wine industry. They just don't in the U.S., the if not the world. They just don't want to do the work. Yeah. It's time to move to. Yeah. Anyway, after prohibition, the first winery was apparently uh, Conestega Vineyards, which was founded by insurance executive. Melvin S. Gordon, who planted French hybrids in the early 1950s, opened it in 1953 in Bertrandville in, in Chester County. Apparently, it never made more than 700 to 1,000 gallons a year, and it was sold to David C. Fondeau, who immediately applied for a limited winery license. Hmm. Pennsylvania, as it turns out, was also the first state to uh, create and enforce, or pass, I guess that's the political terminology proper for it, a farm winery bill, and that was the Limited Winery Act in 1968. Hmm. So basically, there are two wineries that basically got their license the same day, like after it was approved. Presque Isle Wine Cellars and Penn Shore Vineyards. So they both consider themselves the oldest modern vineyards in the state. And apparently the, the industry in Pennsylvania has had a steady uptick since then, obviously, because now it's the eighth largest producer oh, yeah. uh, in the U.S. But it's funny because I talked to a lot of Pennsylvania customers that come out here to Arizona in the tasting room. They're like, oh, all Pennsylvania wines are sweet. They're all, they're all horrible. And they're all Chamberson. I hate Chamberson. Everybody hates Chamberson. <laughs> so the funny drink. thing is, I, love I, I used to hate Chamberson, too. And then I encountered what I loved. I love Chambers. And that was the featured one for the Nebraska episode. Mm. And I discovered it when I was visiting Nebraska. And then I was like, oh, thank God you ship. <laughs> Five years later. And I'm like, this isn't the same vintage, but I hope it's as good. And it was. And I'm just like, oh, thank God. <laughs> anyway, so everyone's like, Chamberson is horrible and evil. There will be a Chamberson from Pennsylvania in a later episode because one of the other bottles that my mom got was a Chamberson from Whispering Oaks Vineyard, I think it was. Mm. But anyway, enough of history. Let's talk about the wine. Uh, it's starting to open up, too, and I'm getting a more marked, almost like <clears throat> some sort of like sour tropical fruit, mm -hmm. too, now. There, it's, there's yeah. something zingy about it. Uh, it's not quite star fruit. There is there is definitely a citrus character, like lemon, but it's some other fruit. I yeah. can't yeah, quite else pin it down. Yeah. Maybe papaya? Mm -hmm. And then there's also a little bit of floral character. I'm getting more floral now that uh, it's warming up. Earlier I got chamomile and a little bit of cliff rose, which is a local flower here in the American Southwest. It really has its own unique bouquet. I really mm -hmm. don't know how to describe it for those of you who are not from the American Southwest, but it kind of, sort of, almost smells like a cross between a honeysuckle, a marshmallow, <laughs> and magic marker. It's weird. It's an interesting I, I, way to describe it. But... Yeah, I, I really don't know how else to describe Cliff Rose, but probably that would be a, a scent that official Somalis would refer to as acacia blossom. <laughs> But, yeah, whatever. 
I give him a CSW, so I, I, I calls him as I see him. Well, CSW. Go. Yes. It's also got a uh, you know really big pear. Yeah, there, I get there. more pear. Pear, a little bit of apple. I get instead of like apple, more like the the skin of an apple, not yeah. the flush of the apple. More of maybe the red skin. Those. I just still can't get over the cream soda flavor on the, yeah. On the palate. Yeah, it totally tastes like a cream soda, which is the weirdest thing. It is super weird. Mm-hmm. Not in a bad way. No, no. Like, this is nice. This is like an alcoholic cream soda, and I kind of want to just almost pound this. <laughs> oh, it's definitely a poundable. I, I have been doing that. <laughs> yeah. I've been trying not to while we I know, were talking earlier. I know, I'm trying not to, but it's still Because it's balanced. Like, it's got yeah. some nice acidity on the finish towards the end, but it's not so much that it stops you. You're like, ooh, it's refreshing. It's mm-hmm. yeah. light. You know, even though it's oaked, it's not super heavy. The other thing that this really reminds me of is a vino verde. For a lot of the same reasons. The difference mm-hmm. is there's none of that effervescent, slightly fizzy character yeah. that you get with a vino verde. Or this is not like a chocolina. Chocolinas have that really strong minerality character. Yeah. It doesn't have a lot of that. There's not really much minerality at all. Mm-mm. And I, if I remember correctly, the Sunbury area is a lot of limestone. Uh, carboniferous, carboniferous and Permian limestones. I'm sorry, there they actually call it the Pennsylvanian, uh, for obvious reasons, because most of the type rocks for that period of time are from Pennsylvania. But I'm not getting any sort of denoted, like, limestone character. No. But this is going to be located in the valley of the Susquehanna River, which is probably also uh, keeping things a little bit warmer than it would be otherwise. Hmm. That would be my guess. There could be shale in that area, too. Which I can see there, because I don't get a lot of minerality in wines from shale, uh, growing in, in shale yeah. deposits. Speaking of this, this is Vidal Blanc. It's 100% Vidal Blanc, which is uh, a pretty popular grape in cold climates. For more on that, we turn to uh, Veniviti Drinking. <laughs> uh, let's see, in the Magical Big Red Book. Yay, Jancis Robinson. <laughs> That's so Our Lady of Wine Grapes. <laughs> First off, it mentions it's a French hybrid ideally suited to the production of sweet Canadian ice wine. So that's, you know. A lot of people in northern states do make it as an ice mm-hmm. wine. Yeah. And we, uh, in a season two episode, which we have already recorded, because what is time? Anyway, um, <laughs> to, to quote the, the esteemed philosopher Douglas Adams, time is an illusion, lunchtime doubly so. We recorded an ice wine and and Vidal comparison between an ice wine from Oliver Vineyards in Indiana, uh, from China, uh, Shangdu Valley, uh, Mm. Dragon Valley, Mm -hmm. or Golden Dragon Valley. That was so weird. Yeah, that was a weird one. And then uh, Matt's ice wine. Well, Um, late harvest. Well, the late harvest that was aged. The late harvest that was aged in uh, French oak. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, Sauternes style from Bruzy Vineyard. Yes. Because uh, I unfortunately do not have any bottles of the Zoss left. Uh, womp womp. Oh, I have like three or four of those. Mm-hmm. I could have brought you one. Well, you should have said something. <laughs> well, in that episode, I wanted to <laughs> I wanted to try and bring Matt in and, and harangue him and, and be like, hey, let's, let's do this. But he never showed up because he is well, even less into people than we are. <laughs> that's true. We'll get him sometime. Yeah. But anyway. He'll just show up at the cellar one day. It's like, hey, Matt, I want to record a podcast with this vertical of six bottles of Malvasia. We're doing it now. You can't get out. Yeah. Just show our the door. Show up and we'll just sit in his office and close the doors. And and be like, we've been expecting you as I turn around in my swivel chair. Yeah. We've got got a little little room next to his office. We'll just lock the door so he has to go into the other room to get out. We're like, surprise. We're going to try some wine. What a shame. It's time to drink. Work is hard. Anyway, 
Continue. Sorry. <laughs> um, so, Origins and Parentage. Um, a complex hybrid obtained by Jean-Louis Vidal in the 1930s by crossing Trebbiano, Toscano, and Rayon d'Or in order to produce a variety that was suitable for the production of cognac in mm. Charente Maritime. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. I uh, can see this being a good uh, wine to turn into cognac. It's got yeah. a lot of neutrality character. Too. Yeah, that'd be it doesn't have any overt characters that would lend itself that would show up in, mm-hmm. you know, a cognac. Yeah. Anyway. Well, and I was going to say, it would be interesting to try one from maybe actually, well, because I guess it wasn't made in France, but it's, there's another note down here. It says, although, although, oh no, although Vidal was bred in France, it is not authorized and is rarely found there. <laughs> so. That's it why be, it's grown it's, all over the States. Yeah. <laughs> but it would be kind of cool to try one from there. Especially if it was made into cognac. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be well, or to compare the two. Yeah. Of the actual Vidal Blanc by its, you know, as its own thing and then try it as a cognac. There's got to be someone doing Vidal Blanc brandy somewhere. Probably. That would be a, that would be a fun quest. I know people that are making Traumanette. Traumanette brandy? Ooh, that sounds fun. In Missouri. Uh, viticultural characteristics, uh, moderate, moderately winter hardy, mid ripening, uh, long bunches of small berries, good resistance to downy mildew, but susceptible to calor. Calor is, if I remember my grip, 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 if I remember my grape diseases correctly, it's basically when you have uneven bunches of berries that either, oh. it's either uneven ripening or yeah. where... Only certain of the yeah, berries it's... ripen and the rest are gone. Okay. Yeah. Uneven ripening. Yeah, powdery mildew. Uh, Anthrocnose? Oh. Oh, black. I can never say it. It's like where the stems start blackening. Okay. It's a disease that can affect them, so. I'm just like, I don't even know. They're just throw C in there real quick. I can never say. I can An- never pronounce it. Anthricnose? Here, let me try. I'm just like, what? Let me butcher it. Because... And, and then botrytis, too. So. Botrytis! Well, Delicious noble rod. We like noble rod. We do. Anthracnose is what I'm going to call it. That's what I said. I'm just yeah. like, I don't... Eh. And if it's wrong, then please like, uh, Why did they email throw us. that C in there? For the yeah. love of God, someone email us. <laughs> yeah, I can't pronounce anything, so... <laughs> right. Really no help. I know what it is, but I can't say it out loud. Right. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think there's other. I didn't completely skim the rest of this. The where it's grown and what its wine tastes like. But <laughs> yeah, half-ass read it. Yeah. Well, oh, like, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Being in France or whatever, but it is apparently grown successfully in Sweden. Sweden. That would be a fun. Mm-hmm. One that would be fun. Yeah, that'd yeah. be fun. Get on um, that. Okay, sure. I'll just fly over to Sweden. Right on that. Actually, I know people that live, live in Sweden. You should see if they can swim. Ship. Ship. <laughs> yes. Swip. Keep Actually, drinking. My... Hmm. Trying. I should see if my aunt can bring stuff back, because she's going out there to visit them. Dude. Should be able to. Yeah. yeah. Like, excuse me. <laughs> Gonna need you. Here's a, here's a shopping list. Yeah, please don't wine. bring back any Malort. <laughs> just give, give her a separate suitcase. Just I would, for wine. Just for wine. Actually, I still have the boxes that we used when we went to Italy. So we bought, like, the insulated, you know, oh, and nice. just took those back on the plane. We, so. we may have to Google this in between podcasts. Like, yeah, what is yeah. the actual vineyard in Sweden where it's growing? That would be kind of fun to see. 
Oh, I, mean, I remember reading about that vineyard, and it's like only like 500 miles south of the Arctic Circle or something ridiculous dang. like that. Well, we know it makes a good ice wine. Exactly. Anyways, I don't know if you want me to pick any more out of there. Yeah, if there's anything that, that intrigues you. Well, I mean, I just because this is just a fun word to say. Originally used to make voluptuously fruity white table wines. <laughs> <laughs> Um, that, that, that is a fun word. That's pretty funny, actually. Commercial production. Currenty sweet wines made from grapes frozen on the vine. So there's the... Yeah, because it starts talking about the ice wines a lot. Mm-hmm. Okay, Vidal has the great advantage of being winter hardy, but not... or Oh, but having no foxy taste. And the wines can taste very bright and pure with the usual extreme crispness associated with ice wine for two or three years, though the wines are not generally designed to age in bottle. I just like that it said without the foxy characteristics, and sometimes American we, wines will get that. But you I do, think, yeah, you get a lot of hybrids that can have that foxy. Yes. But for me, I'm becoming more and more convinced over time that that foxy character is a result of shoddy winemaking. Mm, because yeah. I didn't get, I haven't gotten foxy characters in some of the better hybrid wines that I've had. I think it depends on stylistically, but also the grape. There's some grapes that you can have, but if you make it well, you don't really, you don't see it. But then there's certain varietals, Catawba, that will always be foxy. You can make a great wine out of it, but will always be foxy. It's I have just... yet to, to have a Catawba. My wish list for the podcast, for anyone who is hearing this, is a sparkling Catawba, specifically from Ohio. Because oh. that was the wine that made <laughs> Ohio famous way back okay. when. And because of, I want to say hmm. it's Nicholas Wadworth Longfellow who made a Catawba wine that uh, blew everyone away in Europe and, like, beat out champagne for that year. Hmm. I don't know. I know people in the Midwest, Missouri, and Kansas that make Catawbas, but I don't think sparkling. Because a lot of people still have a negative notation with Catawba that it's eh, it's a it's a cheap wine. Yeah, but at the same time, it used to be used for sparkling. And apparently still is in some places. Yeah. I I, I've heard rumors of a winery in Ohio that made one... Uh, there's a winery in New Hampshire that makes one. I have a friend that makes wine in Ohio. I'll reach out to him and see. Yeah. See if he has any idea. I'm willing to do a trade if he's willing to get uh, a couple of, bo- uh, three or four okay. Ohio bottles. I'll reach out to him and see, because that'd be interesting to see if he knows anybody. I really dig this wine. Mm. Uh, and the like oaking it. character, it's nice because it's giving it a lot more body than a few other Vidal's. Mm-hmm. Uh, this almost, I feel, has as much body as some of the ice wines that we yeah. recorded in that episode that has yet to air. Yes. <laughs> I'd be interested to know how long it's set in barrel, too, just to see, because length can kind of, you know, if it's fresher oak, it doesn't seem like it's fresh oak No, I'm thinking it's probably neutral. more of a neutral or, or second year yeah. French oak. But, like, the foreshadowing for your second season, the one that we did, the late harvest in the barrel, it, it softened it so much. Compared to another one, it did the same fruit, similar, but they didn't barrel age it. And there's a sharper, crisper, more acidic, and ours is a lot softer on the palate. Yeah. And this has a definite softness to it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, again, it's almost, I would say, almost voluptuous. This is a medium-bodied mm-hmm. white wine. It's got some weight and curviness to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wouldn't mind taking it into the bedroom. Oh, wait, this mm-hmm. is my bedroom. <laughs> Literally, because it's a studio apartment. <laughs> but anyway, on that note... Oh, wait, you need wine for the toast. See, Aww. I forget every fucking you, time. It's just so good. Remember we said well, it's poundable? It, yeah. it is. It absolutely is. But this, I just, I traditionally forget that we, there's a toast at the end of every, every I, fucking episode. I didn't know. Yeah. You know? Surprise! Surprise!
fries. I mean, we didn't cheers to begin with, and I was kind of a little offended, so at least we're cheersing now. Oh. So. You should actually start I, you always start No, with I don't cheers. like to start with a cheers. Why? Start it ends. Start I just ending. don't like it that way, but we'll we'll do it for our next recording. We can do it before the recording. There we go. Okay. With the next wine. How's okay. that? Ah, there okay. we go. I like that thought process. But anyway, thank you to my mother, um, mm-hmm. who is my biggest yeah. fan for everything that I do for some reason. Thanks, for Mom. getting weird. <laughs> uh, thanks for getting this for me from uh, Spyglass Ridge. Apparently, she gave my information to the owner and winemaker at Spyglass. So. Uh, uh, I really like your wine. This was great. Delicious. Yeah, that was wonderful. I also have a bottle of your uh, Blush Rosé that I'm looking forward to drinking on its own. Sometimes you want to drink a wine and not really think about it now and again. And mm-hmm. I like a good rosé for that. Mm-hmm. But anyway, uh, thank you. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Let's make America great again, guys. Cheers. This was an episode of the Make America Grape Again podcast, sponsored, produced, and recorded by Cody Burkett, the Arizona wine monk. You can reach us at makeamericagrapepodcast at gmail.com, on Instagram at, at theazwinemonk, or on Twitter at cvburkett. Be sure to also check out our website, makeamericagrapeagainpodcast.com.